Well, glory. Let's get started. Um, because of Christmas program and so forth, they're working on those every um, Sunday and uh, Wednesday night. <clears throat> and so we didn't want to get, uh, you know, we were debating whether to give them the full hour or not, but we decided we would because we always have. And so the um, series that we've been going to, we put that on hold until uh, after the first of the year because, you know, we'll have um, practice up to the program and then we have uh, Christmas Eve is, or Christmas Day is a Wednesday and New Year's Eve is a Wednesday. And so we're just uh, going to do something different. So. I'm going to start a new series tonight, and uh, it's the balance of faith and or of grace and faith. And so we're just going to use this for a few weeks and and do something different. And then after the first of the year, uh, we'll start up the teaching again uh, because the kids will be back in their normal routine, and so will the high schoolers and everybody else. And so that's why we've got a, a different topic that we're dealing with. Uh, tonight, and so that we'll be doing that for a while. And you probably already know as Pastor Isaac is with us tonight. Um, he started with us on uh, on Monday. Uh, he'll be gone this weekend because he hasn't been home to his parents' church for two years, so he's going to go be with them this weekend, but then uh, we'll be, uh, be with us the following week, I think. So let's... Uh, if Donna can get done waving instructions to everybody, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. And yes, that's on Facebook. Everybody knows that you run things around here now. So. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can gather tonight in the precious name of Jesus. We thank you for the victory that is ours that has been purchased through the shed blood and the resurrection of our Christ. And so we just ask that you administer to each of us tonight, open our hearts and minds to hear, to receive that which you have for us. We want your will to be done in each of our lives, and we want to be used to further your kingdom. And so minister your grace, your mercy tonight, Father, and we'll give you the praise and the glory in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be talking um, the next several weeks anyway. Um, we're going to talk about the balance between grace and faith. Um, it may seem like a subject, subject that really shouldn't be necessary, but it really is because uh, we find individuals that um, are on the verge of re rejecting the message of grace because they think it uh, contradicts faith. Uh, we find people that uh, are getting into the grace message and uh, um, they say that faith is no longer Im important. Uh, well, that's, that's just ignorance gone to seed and producing harvest because my Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. And so faith is always going to be important. But my Bible also says, for by grace have been saved through faith and that not of myself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so Without the grace of God, I can't even really demonstrate faith in my life. And so the thing that I want us to see more clearly than ever 
is that it's a combination of the two and that uh, when they're kept in their proper place, uh, they complement one another and they're essential for the victorious life. And so I've given you notes tonight <clears throat> so you can take them and go home and uh, study them again for yourself. Uh, but it says, if we, can't, if we are not careful, uh, we can take either faith or grace to the extreme. And, you know, Isaac and I were talking about this the other day because he was talking about um, grace and truth, or excuse me, uh, what were we talking about? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Thank you. And, uh, uh, you know, Brother Hagen used to always say, if all you have is, is the spirit, you blow up, and if all you have is the truth, you dry up. And so it takes a combination of both. It takes a combination of uh, the word uh, with the spirit, because otherwise we just, you know, will dry up or we will blow up. We've got to have the combination. But you know, it's the same thing that's true of faith and grace. We've got to have both of them. Because if we don't have both, what we try to do is, if, we, if all we have is faith, we try to work it. We try to make things happen without recognizing that Jesus has already done it all. But if we don't recognize the faith, we have a case or attitude. Uh, we just think everything is just through osmosis or something is just going to take place in our life. Well, the Bible says that faith without works, I like the New American Standard translation better, it says faith without corresponding action is dead. And so <clears throat> when we realize what Jesus has done for us, that's grace and that's made available to us. And we begin to see it in the Word of God. That faith demands that we do something about it. And that's when we begin to act and operate upon um, those truths. Um, so, too, so paying too much attention to one side or other, it'll, it'll, it'll be harmful. Um, you know, people that all they do is they emphasize grace, what eventually happens is they will begin to stray away from truth. They'll begin to have this attitude, well, it doesn't matter what I do uh, because it's grace anyway. Well, <clears throat> an individual that has that understanding or that attitude doesn't have any understanding, doesn't have any comprehension of grace at all. Because grace is what Jesus has done for us, but then it also is the ability to do what he's directed us to do. Uh, we're able to do what God's called us to do by his grace, not out of our own willpower. And that's when we've gotten into trouble. That's when I've gotten into trouble. That's where I've experienced the failure uh, in my life, the faith failures, because I thought that I was doing it rather than recognizing that I need to rely upon him. So in, in John 1.17 it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law came through uh, Moses. We know on Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments and the other elements of the law. The law came through Moses. But notice what it says. It says grace and truth came through Jesus. And um, it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that it was all made possible to you and I. It's not about what I do is about what Jesus has already done. So my, what I do is response to what Jesus has done. It's not trying to get 
Jesus to do something, it's recognizing that, it's already, that he's already done it. And so by faith, what I do then is I respond to that. Um, people who don't understand grace will always have a problem with sin. Um, why? The law produces one thing. It produces rebellion. That's what we see in the children of Israel. You know, when, when God gave the children of Israel the law, he didn't give it to them with the intent of them keeping it. Now, he told them to keep it, but he knew they, they weren't going to keep it. They were incapable of keeping it. The law accomplished one thing. The law proved to man that they needed a Savior. You know, that's why Paul says what he, what he says, how he appreciates the law. He loves the law. Because if it had not been for the law, he wouldn't have known uh, covetousness. And if he hadn't known covetousness, he wouldn't have known that he, is a, he coveted. But the reason he was able to know that was because of the law, because it, it revealed it to him. But you know what? He didn't overcome it by the law. He overcame it by the blood of the land, by the word of his testimony, by recognizing what Jesus had already done for him. And so I don't know about you. You know, when I first got saved, um, basically what I was hearing was, uh, was the law, do this, do that, do the other thing, don't, run, don't smoke, chew, drink, or run around with those that do. And, uh, you know, and I, I never did chew, by the way. But I had a little issue with smoking and the other elements involved there. But I didn't want to. But that's what the law did. It produced. The more that I would say no, the more that my flesh would say yes. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if anybody in this room, does anybody like chocolate cake? You know, and, and so somebody, you know, puts a piece of chocolate cake in front of you and say, don't eat that. I don't know about you, everything within me wants to eat that chocolate cake. You know, <clears throat> yesterday morning, Grandma, uh, because tomorrow's Gabe's birthday, uh, but she had made these, what, what is it called? Caramel checks. Caramel checks. Ever had caramel checks? We had some caramel checks last night. Whoever made those car caramel checks, bless you. You know, but, you know, here these caramel checks are sitting out there, and Grandma's saying, and it's your grandma, and she's saying it to you. But she's saying, don't touch them. I, <laughs> I know Isaac had three. I got I, yeah, I had one. I'm not sure I had permission. You know, but what does she do? She boxes them up and she sends them to Arkansas. You know, and so somebody, you know, God knew how badly Isaac and I wanted some of those because they were there last night. You know, but, but see, this is the point that I'm trying to bring out. What does the law do? When somebody tells you don't, you want to with everything within you. That's what the law produces. But when Jesus defeats it, when he overcomes it, that's when we can finally find the victory. There are areas in my life that I struggled through my Christian walk until I realized that Jesus had already defeated the devil. He had already overcome that issue for me. And so by faith, what I was able to do was enter in to what Jesus had already done for me. But it took his grace to set me free, but it took his faith for me to appropriate what he had already done for me. And that's why it takes a combination of faith and grace for us to be able to experience the victory that is truly ours. Because we see in 2 Peter 1.3, it says that we have everything that we will ever need for life and godliness. 
We don't, we, don't, we don't receive the life and we don't experience the godliness of God because we work at it so hard. It's already been provided for us through Jesus, through the completed works. And so that's what, second, did I say 1 Peter? I meant 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1.3. Everything we need for life and godliness has been made available to us. Now the thing is, it's been made available to us. And what I see with uh, many Christians today they don't realize what Jesus has truly done for them. They're, trying, they're still trying to earn, still trying to gain what Jesus has already given to us. You know, we, you know for years we, we've tried to get the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But we thought we had to do something to make that happen. But what we didn't realize, what I didn't realize, maybe I better make it personal, maybe you did. What I didn't realize was that the moment that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, by the grace of God, all those attributes were poured out into my life. And so I don't have to try to get peace, I have peace. I don't have to try to get joy, I have joy. I don't have to try to be long-suffering, I have long-suffering because it's on the inside of me. But what I have to do is I have, a, I, I have to allow it to manifest. I have to appropriate it in the way that I do that is by faith. You know, think about it. The Bible says that, there, that for us, there is a peace that surpasses human understanding. It doesn't say that that peace is just for a select people. That peace is for every one of us as born-again believers. There's a peace that's available to us. Well, how, why, why don't why doesn't the church, why don't people have more peace in their life? Because they're trying to get something that they already have. You know, I had a 81 Riviera. Most of you have heard my story of my 81 Riviera. And uh, how I, you know, through the winters that I had that car, um, it was a diesel. And uh, I put, I don't know how many starters I put in that thing, because every, every winter I'd burn it up because... You know, I have to run, 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 get that diesel started. And so one winter, we're up at my parents up in Hastings, Minnesota, just outside St. Paul. And it was cold. Oh, it was, it was cold. It was really cold. And um, that, that Riviera, was time, it was going to be time to go home, and it, it would not. I mean, we could barely get it to turn over. And so my dad is a custodian of the school up there, and so we pushed it over to the shop, get it inside, warm it up, and... And so, uh, well, I was in there in the shop, you know, one of my brother-in-laws or somebody's working on it, and, and um, they said, Dave, what, why didn't you plug it in? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, your, your vehicle, your, your car has a, a tank heater on it. And... See this cord? Well, no, I've never seen the cord before. <laughs> you plug that in and it, it circulates the water and you get in the car and the, the engine is already warmed up. You turn it over and you're ready to go. Hmm, that's a really cool idea. <laughs> but I didn't know it. But you know what? I had it the whole time. You know, <clears throat> ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance means you don't get to participate or partake of that which you already have. And that's where a lot of Christians are today. 
There's a lot of, that Jesus has provided for us, made available, not just simply made available to us, he's poured it out into our lives. And all that we have to do is appropriate it. All we have to do is plug it in. And it'll work for us. But we don't plug it in because we don't know that it's available. Did you get all your kids in that car? Yes. I mean, it was a sight, you know, because um, it had, uh, you know, had buckets. You know, the, the 81, you're, you're thinking of the newer ones. The 81, 81 they were a little bit larger and uh, had a back seat. And, and so when we'd go up to Hastings, and we, we went up to Hastings, of course, and that, and all the kids were with us. And so the, the girls would all sit in the back because it was a little bit tighter, but then there were three guys of us. And, and of course, Aaron usually got stuck in the middle because he was the youngest. We don't have any cops here tonight, do we? And, <clears throat> because he didn't have a seat belt because there wasn't one in the middle because there wasn't a seat there. It was just, you know, two buckets. And, and so he'd get in that thing. And, you know, <clears throat> a little story about that. We're coming back and we're coming down, you know, uh, I don't know what the highway is where you come off of 20 and straight into Jefferson, where you, by Farnonville where you come over the railroad tracks. Well, they were working on those railroad tracks. And I forgot about that. <laughs> And so it's at night, and I've got the crew set, and we're probably the speed limit, but we're, we're going to definitely the speed limit. And I hit that thing, and I, until I hit it, I didn't remember that they were working on those railroad tracks. And uh, we went airborne. And uh, the girls in the back, because, you know, back then we didn't wear seat belts. They all went and hit the roof of the car, and we, and we, poof, poof, you know, and uh, I still hear about that today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but some of the stuff we, but, but yeah, we got them all in the car. <laughs> and um, we were pretty squished in there, but, you know, we've always been kind of a cozy family anyway, so it worked out all right. And that made my, everything go off. There we go. Let's look at, um, Romans 4.16, getting back on track. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified, so you might want to look at it up on the board. Uh, Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. I don't know about you, I kind of like that. Inheriting the outcome, or inheriting the inheritance is the outcome of faith. And depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and uh, uh, adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. And so the promises are, it isn't just because we, we, uh, for those that were under the law, it's for, for everyone, and, and we're grafted in. We're considered children of, era, uh, of Abraham. Faith, involvement with grace, and so we see that in this verse, is significant. You know, and so uh, faith is important. Grace is important. I look at it kind of this way. Grace is God's part. Faith is our, our part. 
Grace is everything that Jesus did for us. We can't, we, we can't, we can't earn grace. Grace is unmerited favor. If I had to earn it, it would no longer be grace. It would be what I've earned, what I've deserved. So grace you can't earn. And so, but we, we still have to enter into it. We still have to appropriate it. We still have to take advantage of that. And the way that we do that is by faith. You know, on the cross, when, when Jesus cried out and he said, it is finished, he wasn't just simply saying, I'm about to die here. Jesus was saying, everything that I came to accomplish has been accomplished. It is finished. The only thing that was left for Jesus to do after his death was to go to hell, pay the penalty for us to be resurrected from the dead, go uh, to heaven and make the sacrifice on the altar of heaven for each and every one of, basically clean up heaven, make it available to each and every one of us. And that's what Jesus did. But all of his earthly ministry, it was accomplished at that time. He, he did everything that was expected and required of him. And he did it for you and I, that we might live and walk in the victory. Let me read that again. Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor, to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and the adherents to the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. You know, is it interesting? Abraham... Abraham didn't get his position because he earned it. God chose him. The Bible says because of Abraham's faith, God considered him righteous. He wasn't righteous because of his actions. He was, good. He was righteous because God chose to consider him righteous. And that's how it is for us. We're not just simply considered righteous. We are righteous because of what Jesus did and what he accomplished for each and every one of us. But because of that, by faith is how we enter into what Jesus has already done for us. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 11th verse, it says, let us therefore be diligent. And so it tells us we are to be diligent in something. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And so what are, we, what are we to labor at? What are we to be diligent at? We're to be diligent to enter into the rest. And, and what does that mean? That means that we believe God. We believe that Jesus accomplished everything that he said he was going to accomplish, what he did accomplish. And we enter into that, and what that produces then is a rest. You know, I don't know about you, um, when I have a project that's going on and uh, I'm finally, finally done with it, I'm able to sit back and look at it and say, whoa, I'm sure glad that's done. But you know, as long as I'm still working on it because of my mindset, there, there is no rest. Remember when we were doing some remodeling on the house, one night I finally said to Becky, I said, we have got to get this thing done. I'm tired of building this thing every night. 
because that's what I'd do there. I'd, I'd lay there every night. And, and I mean, I'm putting in every board. I'm putting in every nail. I'm seeing what I'm going to get done here, there, and the other thing. There is no rest because it isn't done. And I'm not physically working on it, but even though I'm not physically working on it, there still is no rest because it's not done. But you know, it's an interesting thing. The moment it's done, I stop driving the nails at night. I stop measuring the boards. I stop doing all those things. Why? Because it's done. And you see, that's how we are with the things of God. The Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, we've what been healed? Have been healed. It's past tense. In other words, it's already done. And so faith takes that which Jesus has done for us and he brings it into the now. And so if I believe that by the, faith, by the stripes of Jesus I have been healed, then I'm healed. There's nothing left for me to do. And so I don't have to lay in bed at night thinking, well, if I did this or if I did that or if I did the other thing. I may not have the manifestation of it yet, but I can still be in rest because I know that there's nothing left for me to do because Jesus has done it all. You know what hinders most Christians in receiving their healing is that they think there's something I still have to do rather than be at rest saying, thank you, Jesus, that you've done it all. And he has. But it's true in every single area of our life. Why do we not have peace? Because we're trying to figure out what it is that we've done that we've lost our peace. You haven't lost your peace. It's right there. You're just looking in the wrong place. We're looking out here and it's in here. We're looking at happiness and thinking it's joy. No, 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 no. Peace or happiness and joy are two totally different things. Joy is dependent upon circumstances. What did I say? Did I say joy? joy. I didn't mean joy. Did I? No. I meant happiness. Happiness is dependent upon the circumstances. Joy is what I have on the inside of me. You get a hold of joy and you'll be happy. We get a hold of happiness and we still don't have any joy. Why? Because it's never going to be enough. Because I'm happy today, but just wait till tomorrow. Well, we can be joyful today and we can be joyful tomorrow because we're not looking at circumstances. We're looking at what Jesus has done for us. Let us be diligent. Be diligent to enter the rest. How do we enter the rest? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. When we meditate on that word, meditate on the word day and night that you may have good success. What, what, what happens when we, when we give place to the word of God, we enter into that rest because we begin to see what Jesus has truly done for us. You know, I've, <clears throat> I shared this the other night, and I know I've shared it here time and time again, but I, I think sometimes my interpretation of it has been wrong over the years. Remember when I talked about when I was up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, and, and uh, um, my salary in the church there was 60% of the offering. And, uh, you know, if you've got a big church, that can be a pretty good offering every Sunday. But I remember the Sunday that my salary uh, for myself and my four children, three of them in private school, uh, was $39 and some odd cents. That was my 60% of the offering. And so... <clears throat> Uh, I, I had this little side job. There was this um, uh, little mini mall there, and after they closed up at night, I'd go and 
uh, clean and scrub the floors and so forth. And uh, during the winter, I'd shove the, shovel the walks. You know, a lot of times before church, I'd have to go shovel the walks at the mall before I could go to church to preach because that was my job. And so I'd shovel the walks. And in the summer, there was this, this grass out in front, and I'd mow that. And so I was going, it was during the summer, I was going to go mow the grass. And, and um, just before I leave the house, Pastor Becky says, uh, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, we need groceries. And we don't have any money. And um, she said, I thought, well, maybe if I just buy margarine rather than butter. And she said, that's not going to do it. And so I go to work and do my little mini mall thing. And I'm on the lawn. And during that time, what I did was every, every day I had a scripture that I would, I'd write on a piece of paper, I'd put it in my pocket, and that was my scripture for the day. I'd meditate on it and memorize it and, and whatever it was. And it was Philippians 4 and 19 that day. It was, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And so I start, I start mowing that lawn and, you know, I'm quoting that scripture. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And my head is saying, God, why don't you supply all my needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus? Because I don't have much, much, enough money to buy groceries for my kids. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But I'm, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the way I always said it was, it was like it... Uh, about mid-afternoon, as I mowed the lawn, it dropped from my heart, my head to my heart, where instead of just simply being, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, it was, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And there was a peace. Now, nothing had changed. In the natural Absolutely nothing had changed, but I knew something. And I said, you know, it, and, and, and this is accurate too, that it dropped from my head to my heart. But as I meditated on it more and more over the years, the thing that I realized is that I entered his rest. You know, even though the circumstances hadn't changed, I had confidence that my God would supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Now, <clears throat> I continued to work. I continued to be faithful. I continued to tithe. I continued to do all the things that the Word of God says that we should do. I believe that we're to do that. We do that out of obedience. But there was a peace that I had, even though the circumstances hadn't changed. You know, and we don't even know how he did it, but he met every one of our needs. We never missed a house payment. We never missed a school payment. I never missed a meal. You know, God supplied. But see, there can be a peace, even though in the natural it looks like everything is, is falling apart. And that, the rest of God, the rest of God doesn't mean that I go sit in my easy chair and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, and I don't ever do anything. You know, I work, but I'm not working because I'm trying to gain something. I work because that's what we do. He that won't work shouldn't eat. I know that's Schroeder's paraphrase, but it means the same thing. You know, so, so we do 
what's out there to do. But we believe. We believe. You know, wh whatever your vocation is. You work that vocation. And, but you don't, you don't that, that's your vocation. God's your supply. And he uses your vocation. But ultimately, he's your supply. And that means when we look at him as your supply, he can supply above and beyond what that job can do for you. But when we limit it just simply to that job that I'm doing, we limit God as to what he really wants to do in our lives. Grace, I believe, if we're actually walking in grace, grace teaches us to live righteously and holy. You know, it seems like, uh, you know, teach on righteousness and especially holiness. Oh, glory to God, don't preach on holiness. You know, well, God wants us to be holy. And that doesn't mean we walk around with our nose in the air acting holier than thou. You know, I, I've heard the saying, you know, be careful. You don't want to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, don't worry about it. I've never run into that person. You know, in, in 45 years of serving Jesus, I've not encountered anybody that was so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. I've met, I've met some people that are so self-righteous, they're no, holy, no earthly good, but nobody that's so heavenly, because you can't get too heavenly minded. <laughs> It's an absolute impossibility because if you're heavenly minded, that means you're in a position believing that Jesus might come back tomorrow. And, you know, each of us have to ask ourselves this question. If I know, knew with all certainty that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, would I be doing today what I'm doing today? Remember I heard somebody talking about that one time and they said, you know, if, if you knew for a certainty that God was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? Guy thought a minute and he says, I'd go plant a tree. Guy like, why would you plant a tree? And he says, well, because if I didn't know whether or not Jesus was coming back tomorrow and it was important enough for me to plant a tree, it would be just as important to plant that tree if he was coming back tomorrow. And so the point is, what we're doing today, is it significant, if it's, is it important enough to do if Jesus were coming back? I believe it is. It's, it's important enough to provide for our families. Yes. Is it important enough for us to serve one another and care for another one another? Yes, it is. And so I believe when we walk in grace, when we demo, experience grace, what it does is actually teaches us to live a life of righteousness and to live a godly life. Titus 2.12, it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We're to live a godly life. So anybody that would go to the extreme with grace and say, well, I'm under grace. You know, it doesn't matter what I do. It does matter. Because we're to live a godly, we're to live a holy life. 
And see, my persuasion is, is what grace does is it actually empowers me, enables me to live that holy, righteous life. I mean, when I tried to do it in my own strength, when I was trying to operate under the law, I call it the law, but really, usually what it is is other people's expectations. <clears throat> Amen. You know, that's when, I, that's when I failed. That's when I struggled. But when I began to realize Jesus loves me unconditionally, that he's empowered me to live the life that he's created me to live, all of a sudden, my, my, my motives, my desires, they, they begin to change. It's like I tell the guys up at prison, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's easy to walk well, easy probably isn't a correct term. It's easier to walk free of our addictions and the problems that we have in our life when we want to. It's easier to serve God when I want to rather than when I feel like I have to. It's easier to stop if I've got a problem with uh, drugs or alcohol. It's easier to quit when I want to rather than when I feel like I have to. Because I don't know about you, I went through those years where it was like you have to. And I wasn't very successful at it. And even when I wasn't, even when I was supposedly walking free of it, the want to was still there. You know, you walk by certain things, you have certain smells and what had happened, you're, you'd start to drool because you longed for it, because you remembered it. Now I walk by those same scents and those same smells, and I think, boy, that really stinks. I used to put that junk on the inside of me. What was wrong with me? I was lost. I was hopeless. I wasn't dependent upon Jesus. But when we find him, everything, everything begins to change. Our faith um, is reflected in our prayers. Our prayer life begins to change. Our prayer changes from gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, to oh God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that my needs are met. Thank you that sickness and disease has no authority over my body because I've been set free by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. My testimony is I am the redeemed of the Lord and therefore Nothing evil has any place in me. You know, uh, those temptations that come my way, they have no right, they have, a no, they have no authority over me. Why? Because I'm the redeemed of the Lord. And I recognize that and I acknowledge that and I declare that. You know, the Bible says, does say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I, I tell you something, we ought to be saying a whole lot more than we do. We ought to be proclaiming at the, on the housetops that I am the redeemed of the Lord because of what Jesus has said has done for us. In Isaiah 54, 15, or 17, it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Notice that the weapons are formed. Do you notice that? The weapons are formed. There are, there are weapons. There are, <clears throat> I'm convinced of this. This is me. Okay, everybody say, it's Pastor Dave. Pastor 
This is me. This is what I believe. I believe every one of us have weaknesses. Maturity is recognizing your weaknesses. Why? Because that's the weapon that's been formed against you. And that weakness is the number one tool that the enemy will use to come against you, to defeat you. And so it's important to recognize those weaknesses. Why? So that we can resist it, to realize no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which is, rises up against you in judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage. This is our heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. And so when, when we see that weapon, what do we do? We declare that we've been set free through Jesus Christ. But you know, there's an old song, you know, <clears throat> uh, the old gambler song. There's a, there's a time to hold them. Gotta know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to, oh, that's enough. No when to run. Not, you should have got to that part. Because we need no when to run. Well, you know, if I'm a really strong believer, when temptation comes my way, I'm going to stand against it and I'm going to defeat it. Well, praise the Lord. But you know what? There's a time when that temptation comes and you know that this is your area of weakness. Rather than hanging out, you leave. You get out of there. You make tracks. You know, one of my favorite stories, and you've all heard it, but you've heard all my stories. Just say, praise the Lord, and in another two months, we'll hear a whole new set of stories. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> then I'll come back every once in a while, and you say, oh, I remember that old story. Instead of, oh, here we go again. You know, <clears throat> you know but, but the old story of Jimmy Rushton, he's in Manila in the Philippines, and, and he's going down a dark alley one night, and, you know, Jimmy... He had, he, he had a really rough, he had a rough life. And he's coming down this dark alley and all of a sudden this lady of the night steps out of this dark doorway and she propositions him. And Jimmy says, you know, being the great man of faith and power that I am, you probably think I sat down on the curb and witnessed to her. He says, no, I turned and I ran just as fast as I could down that street. And uh, to this day, I wish I had a video of that. <laughs> I would have loved seeing Jimmy Rushton running down uh, the streets. You know, and he's probably listening to me right now from heaven. Oh, no, he's got other things to do. That's right. You know, and, uh, but, but the thing is, is he was smart. You know, he, he knew his wife was completely on another island. He, he knew the, the Tim, you know, the, the thought could go through your mind. You know, I remember hearing... Dr. Cole one time, he was talking about how he was, he was, in, a, he was in an elevator in Chicago for a, a, a full gospel businessman fellowship meeting. And he was going up in the elevator with somebody else. And they were, in the hotel they were in, there were two um, nicely clad ladies that got into the elevator to go up. And uh, he says, you know, being the spiritual guy that, that I am, you know, you'd probably think that I would have witnessed to him or not or something like that. But as he says, I was curious. And so he says, you know, what's the going rate? And they told him, you know, and so he goes to his room and he, he says, I get into my room and I have these horrendous thoughts. 
And see what happens when we begin to entertain something? So he said, the first thing that I did, he said, his wife is in Texas. I called my wife. And he says, I told her what just took place, what I'd just done. And she says, put that receiver on your chest. And so he lays it on her chest and she starts taking authority over that thing in the name of Jesus. And he says, I was, you know, I was free. But he said, you know, he learned something. You don't play around with that stuff. You know, and, and, and whatever, whatever it may be. And I'm not saying that that was a weakness of him. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, you know, he allowed curiosity to, to ask a question. And that's what it led to. But he had enough sense to go and get it dealt with immediately. He went to his wife. We need to know that we run, we get away from those situations. And if, if something clings to us, stop carrying it around. Get rid of it. Turn to the right source, to the right individual, and get it taken care of. Hallelujah. Because we can take care of it, can't we, Isaac? I was sharing some of our war stories the other night, and I'm not sure if he was thrilled or thought, what am I getting into? Praise the Lord. Works of faith are a result of strong belief. Your faith connects us to grace. I know we've said that before, but that's, we just got to get a hold of that truth. Romans 5, 2, it says, Through whom also... We have access by faith. What do we have? We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The manifestations of God's grace, we have access to them. And so once again, faith is our way to receive, to access the grace that's been made available to us through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 in the Amplified, it says, for it is by free grace. It's not free, it's not grace. And so it's really it's almost, what would the word be, rhetorical? It's saying the same thing, it's free, it's grace. Grace is free. If it costs us anything, um, then, it's not, then it's not grace. I don't know about you. You know, the Bible says the wage is a sin is death. The wage is what you earn. I don't. I don't want what I deserve. I don't. I don't want what I've earned with my life. I want grace. I want what God has purchased, provided for me even though I did absolutely nothing to deserve it in any way, shape, or form. I don't want at the end of my life to get, here, this, this is what you earned. I mean, poof, it's gone. You know, I want what I didn't earn. I, don't, I want what I didn't deserve. And that's what Jesus has provided for me. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. I like that, that there's two parts of it. We're delivered from judgment, and we become partakers of Christ's salvation. 
Salvation comes from the Greek word, of course, we all know, sozo. And the word sozo doesn't just simply mean we get to go to heaven. The word sozo is an all-inclusive term in the Greek. It means, it means, yes, eternal life, but it means healing, it means deliverance, it means prosperity, it means provision in every area of our life, spirit, soul, and body. It, it's it's all-inclusive. That's what salvation is, and that's what it's saying here. <clears throat> but you know, it's like the, the children of Israel, they come out of Egypt. God uses Moses to lead them out of Egypt. But what do they do? They doubt God, and as a result of doubting God, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. You know, I've heard people say, well, this is, uh, you know, when we get to heaven, that's our promised land. No, 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 no. You remember when they crossed over in the promised land 40 years later following Joshua? They had to defeat the enemy. There's no enemy in heaven. And so our promised land is what we're to experience right now on this earth. That's what Jesus has done for us. And so when, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, it wasn't supposed to be a 40-year journey. It was what? Three days? That was all it was supposed to be. And they were to enter into the promised land, but they didn't because of unbelief. And so they wandered for 40 years. And what I see with believers today... They're in the wilderness wandering around. They've been brought out of the world. They've been brought out of Egypt, but they've never entered in. And so God always takes us out so that we can enter in. And it isn't a 40, 50 year journey, however it is that we spend here on earth after we've been born again. No, it's to be now. I'm out and I'm in. And that's what this verse may, is making reference to, or the definition of it when it talks about it in the Amplified, delivered from judgment. That's the world. And made partakers. And so it's, it's like one in the same. And that's how it ought to be when we come out, we go in. You know, that's what's so wonderful for so many of you newer Christians because you didn't get, you didn't have to go through the uh, um, learning about what Christ has done for us. I mean, we, we, we started from, from scratch. I remember sitting in those Bible studies and we knew nothing. I mean, I'm talking nothing here. You know, we'd read the Bible and we'd give it our own interpretation and you know, I look back and I think, oh my goodness. You know, I told, I think I told Isaac the other day, I said, you know, I think back and I, you know, I started a church in Wapaka, Wisconsin and pastored them for two years and I just think, those poor people. You know, but I, I, I did what I knew. I did the best I could. You ought to thank God for Wapaka. Because I learned a lot in Wapaka, but thank God I've learned something since Wapaka as well. But, but we, we've learned something. We don't, we don't have to go through these struggles. We go through them while we're, we're learning the process and gaining an understanding of what Jesus has truly done for us. But we're beginning to understand what he's truly done for us, and that's through his grace, through understanding it. 
For by, uh, for it is by um, free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it was a gift of God. I tell you, that verse is so strong it almost makes me want to read the Amplified. Just too many words for me. But I mean, it defines what's really been made available to us. The day we're saved is the day we believed. And the day that we believed, all the blessings, all the attributes of salvation were poured into our life. And how do we do it? By faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. <clears throat> you know, um, we used to always teach, you know, we, we gain more faith. We gain more faith. But you know what? We have the measure of faith. We have the measure of faith. We have everything we need to live the victorious life faith-wise. What we lack is, is understanding. It's a revelation of what Jesus has truly done for us. And so what we interpret oftentimes as growing in faith is really growing in knowing what Jesus has truly made available to us. And so the moment that we know that, we can, we can, we can appropriate that. You know, the, the, I don't know about you, the thing that I began to realize was... Um, it was, it was a whole lot easier when I was first saved um, to get my prayers answered than it was years later after I'd learned something. It was kind of like the first time I went bowling. And I didn't think of that because Isaac was talking about bowling earlier. But <clears throat> I went bowling with my brother, first time I'd ever gone bowling. And uh, so the first game... Um, he just let me go, and I'd throw that thing down there. And uh, I, I think I scored like a 99 or something like that, maybe even in, into 100. I don't remember. I mean, it's so many years ago. <laughs> the next game, he showed me how to bowl. And I don't think I ever got above 60 again that, that entire day. You know, <clears throat> because now I'm trying to do what I've been told. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. When I was first saved... I, I saw in Scripture that we'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, that we'll, you know, that, that Jesus heals. So that's all I knew about Jesus concerning healing, that he would that we'd heal. Then all of a sudden I started to hear all this stuff, what we need to do to, to make healing happen, and all the things that would hinder healing in your life. And, you know, and all of a sudden it wasn't as easy to get the manifestation of the healing anymore. And the reason for it was, is I was trying to get healed. When I was first saved, I didn't try to get healed. I just didn't know any better. I expected to be healed. And I was healed. Because that's all that he wanted from me, was to look to Jesus. Well, you know what? It's true in a whole lot of areas of our life where we've been, we've been told this, we've told, you know, 
<laughs> Early on in the Word of Faith movement, you know, every book was, you know, 10 steps to this and 10 steps to that and six steps to this. Everything had steps to it. And so you'd, you'd go through all those steps and nothing happened. Well, we didn't, what we didn't realize is the person that wrote the book was just telling you how they got to that place. And so we're trying to copy something. So we're putting our faith in the copy rather than looking at the real thing. The real thing is Jesus. You know, that's why we're to keep our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know, thank God for books. Thank God we can read stuff. But that's not what perfects us. What perfects us is looking to Jesus and realizing what Jesus has done for us. And we put our faith in that. And we begin to see the manifestation of that in our life. Not because I went through all the steps, but because I trusted Jesus. Mercy sakes alive. You have your notes. You can read them for yourself. We got young people on the loose already tonight. Psalms 107.2, we made reference to it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know what? You need to be convinced of some things. You need to, you need to believe. You need to be convinced you're redeemed. Oh, yeah, I'm redeemed. No, you are redeemed. You're redeemed from sickness. You're redeemed from poverty. You're redeemed from bondage. You're redeemed from the, the devil being able to torment you. You are redeemed. And so take that verse and begin to proclaim and declare that verse because that's who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. Have a good rest of the evening.